All right, good morning, everybody. How we doing? How about now? Is that better? All right. Hey, uh, my name is Chris Pleckenpole. I am so glad that all of you are here in person, online, and to all of our women who are coming back from the women's retreat or still partying out at uh, Summer Mills, I'm so excited to have you. This has been an incredible weekend for me to um, go it alone. Adrian got back this morning at O'Dark 30, and uh, uh, I, I think she got like four hours of sleep because all you guys did, I guess, was party, right? Pretty much, yeah. And so anyway, it's, so just um, congrats to all the men who came, and way to go for handling your children. You guys are great dads. All right. All right, so hey, uh, one of the things I want you guys to know is that uh, we love questions here, and uh, I do, I go over all questions on Pastor Plex podcast that we record every Monday morning, and then we get it out to you by Tuesday. So if you have any questions about what we're talking about today, and what we're talking about today is pretty extreme, so you might want to write all your questions and you can hit me with anything. Uh, We would love that. So there's no question off topic. Uh, We would love to do that. Hey, I want to update you on something uh, that is near and dear to all of our hearts is our building campaign. We have committed now $2.975 million. That's pretty crazy. All right, so that's, you know, we had our big reveal. It was 2.737. So this is like a lot more, and uh, and uh, what's really more exciting, or not more exciting, just as exciting, is we received almost four hundred thousand dollars of that. So way to go, you guys! That's like thirteen percent, and so it's exciting to see, get us off to the races for our building. So how awesome and fun is that? So this is just mind blowing, exciting. All right, we are in a series called "The Woman, the Dragon, and the Beast," and we are unlocking Revelation. And inevitably, when you, when you talk about Revelation, you talk about, um, well, the wrath of God, right? Like, this is where the wrath of God comes in, and it makes everybody a little bit uncomfortable, okay? In fact, I remember in seminary, uh, <laughs> I had a professor. He was like 6'9". Right? He was like, you were like, why are you not in the NBA? You know, and he had like, whenever he would talk, he did the uh, bouncing spider, or, or sorry, spider on a mirror. That's why, where you do this. I don't know if it's a nervous habit. But he would just, as he talked, he would do this. And so I just remember his fingers like this as he talked about the wrath of God. And it's still etched in my memory. He's like, because he was so tall. So he's like, does the Jesus of Isaiah 63 embarrass you? And you're like, what? And I I pulled up my Bible, Isaiah 63. And then he's like, and he reads a portion of it. He's like, I trampled them in my wrath, and their blood spattered on my garments. Does the Isaiah, uh, or does the Jesus of Isaiah 63 embarrass you? Do you take him to your parties? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, like this was like a moment, like you're just sort of experiencing, like, I just, you know, usually when you talk about wrath of God, we do kind of keep it a little bit quiet. That's not something we want to lead with. You know, if you're new here, hey, welcome to church. We're talking about the wrath of God. All right. Uh, And that's not something in general people get excited to talk about unless you fully understand the wrath of God. In fact, here's kind of, I compare it to, you know, he goes, it was kind of like, you know, you have a, the crazy drunk uncle at, the, uh, at Thanksgiving. You keep him in the kitchen away from everything, right, away from the kids. Because, you know, when he comes out, it's just bad news for everybody. Or it's kind of like, um, you know, when, you're, when you talk about the wrath of God, it's sort of like when you get together with all of the, your friends from the same political party and you start talking about the other party, right? And you're like, 
those bloody blah bloody blahs, and they don't understand, and blah blah blah. And you could talk about you know the the full extent of the agenda for your political party is right, and those people they don't get it. But all of a sudden, once you mix everybody together, the conversation gets a little stymied. And that's how it is when we're talking about the wrath of God, because right in this room, we have people who believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, and we have people who are like, "Mm, that's kind of crazy. And so when I talk about the wrath of God, it's good news for some and not so good for a lot of others. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. All right, so I want you to kind of hang on to your hats, because I feel like... um, when we, we get uncomfortable, if you get uncomfortable, we, we all get uncomfortable at God's wrath because we just in general say, well, people aren't that bad. I mean, why do we have, I mean, like God's wrath, I mean, like, I mean, I'm not perfect, but like wrath? Or uh, there's a whole bunch of ways to God. Why are we getting so upset about, like, is God really that, you know, full of himself that he needs everyone to worship him the way he wants? Or, you know, we're in Austin for crying out loud. You start talking like that, you're going to get canceled. Because we don't talk about exclusivity. We don't talk about wrath. We don't talk about that stuff. We talk about kindness and we talk about all the things that make people happy and joyful. And so when you talk about wrath, you are on the verge of cancellation. So please, Chris, keep like, listen, I kind of like our church. I don't want our church on the news. And yeah, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. It's uncomfortable. But the reality is I don't want to be like the bait and switch guy, right? Um, Like once you get to the 33rd degree, you can find out about God's wrath. Or once you get the special underwear and you can wear that too, you can join the cult and now you can find out about God's wrath. No, no, we want to kind of be very clear uh, where we stand on all of this because it's, it's, it's important because it's true. All right. So, so here's, I want to do a quick recap and review. Last time I tried to do this in two minutes, I ended up taking five. I'm going to try again to give you all of Revelation in two minutes. Ready to start my timer now. Okay. So you've got, John is writing in about 90 ish AD, and the, the Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from dead, ascended to heaven, has already happened, and we are in what's called the church age. And so the first three chapters are written to the church age of three ch- or seven churches uh, in, that are in modern-day Turkey or contemporary time Galatia, all right? And so those are going to be on a circular route, and, and Jesus is giving them warning. He's giving them encouragement. He's saying, hey, guys, here's some great things. Here's some not-so-great things. Get your act together. I'm going to snuff out your light. Or, hey, way to go. You're getting martyred in my name. Hallelujah. You're going to get a great reward for you. Okay, that's kind of stuff. Now, there's a Revelation 3 to Revelation 4, something happens. There is what we call the rapture. So we are a church that believes in the rapture, that we're going to be caught up into heaven because of this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And so we really believe in a literal pre-tribulation, because this is going to be the tribulation, pre-millennial, that's going to be God, Jesus' reign on earth for a thousand years, rapture. So we'll be caught up in the air with him. And that splits Revelation 3 with Revelation 4 which in Revelation 4 is the beginning of the tribulation, which you have a scene in heaven of worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there's a lot of worship and praise. And then chapter 5, who can open up the scroll? Who is worthy to open up the scroll for the end times? Oh, the Lamb of God. He can open up. That's Jesus. He can open the scroll. Revelation 6, 
he opens up the first six seals, and you've got the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Maybe you've, you've heard of that. You've got uh, the Antichrist coming on the white horse. You've got, uh, he, he takes over the world through peaceful or diplomatic means. Peaceful might be the wrong word. Diplomatic means, but he uses wars, which is the red horse, and rumors of wars, and all this to sort of take control. Then you've got the black horse, which is famine, and he's, he's able to you know, use market fluctuations and take over more power uh, as people are starving. He's able to find solutions for people. And then you've got uh, the pale horse, the dapple horse, who is death and hell is coming with him. Kind of a tombstone reference. Okay. So then you've got, that's the first six seals. And then the seventh seal is going to unleash seven trumpets. But in Revelation 7, you've got, uh, as the, the seal is sort of removed for the seventh seal, there's a pause and there's in heaven, there's this worship experience of every tribe, every nation under heaven. Um, we've been saying this, that we want to reflect heaven on earth because on earth is a reflection of what will be in heaven. And so Austin is, is every race, tongue, nation, all the nations have come to Austin because we're tech central. I don't know if you guys knew that. And so you're going to see out there every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We want to reach them with the gospel because that's what we're here to do. And we'll be a reflection of heaven. So we want to make outside look inside because that's what heaven's going to be. But also on earth, there was uh, people were sealed by the mark of God. And that's going to be important because whatever God does, Satan wants to counterfeit. Then you got Revelation 8 through 12, or the, or the seven trumpets are blasted, and you've got all sorts of God's wrath coming down. And then you've got uh, the, the two witnesses in Revelation 11 calling down fire from heaven, and it's just this crazy time. And then Revelation 13, uh, you've got uh, the dragon. He is trying to defeat the church. He's not able to do it, so he has a beast rise out of the sea, which is the Antichrist. And then you, he's got his prophet, which is a smaller beast with a couple horns that looks like a lamb but has a voice of a dragon. And so this is, obviously these are metaphors. They aren't actual beasts. They're people that represent the darkness, okay? And that's where we, we've talked about they start taking over the world. What happens in uh, the, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse is sort of seen and really specifically here as the beast steps onto the world scene. And then Revelation 4, 14 is where God sends his reaping angels. This is like the Grim Reaper type moment where you get the literal image of the Grim Reaper. Revelation 14, he's got a huge Sith and he's like, and he's sickling people up, right? It's, it's well, it's Grim Reaper stuff. And so that's, that was last week. So there you go. And we're continuing to move that. Revelation 15 is sort of a song that's sung. And we're going to jump into Revelation 16, which is the seven bowls of wrath. Everyone's like, hooray, bring it. All right, so that's where we're going. <laughs> All right, so if you want to open up your Bibles to Revelation 16, uh, we are going to get into it. This is where, like, I, I want to make sure that, remember, I think I've said this. Uh, I, people have texted me and sent in questions, and they have real anxiety about this. And I don't, I don't want to minimize the anxiety. But I want you to remember that Jesus died on the cross, and he took on the wrath of God for you, so you would not have to experience this. Now, there are other Christian traditions, which are orthodoxy, that believe that you will. We're just not one of them. But if you believe that, that's totally fine. And so your anxiety may not be relieved. So uh, I just want you to know, at our church, we totally believe that, we are, uh, that God's wrath was taken by Jesus. And so all Christians who are alive, and when the rapture happens, um, we get to enjoy the view from heaven. Okay. just want to put that out there so that I, I do. I have a lot of anxious people who kind of really sweat this, this stuff. All right, Revelation 16, verse 1. You guys ready? 
Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. All right, so bowl one, bowls poured out and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. So if you had 666 on your right hand or your forehead, then sores are popping up all over your skin. If you didn't, you didn't have that. And that's when the mark, people who had the mark of the beast get sort of angry at those who don't because how come you, you're not getting the painful sores? And no vaccine is going to help that one. All right. Then the next angel comes, pours out uh, the bowl onto the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing that died, uh, everything, everything that was in the sea died. Okay. So you've got, bam, that's sort of awful. So, you know, all the fishing industry collapses. Then rivers uh, turn to blood as the third angel pours out its bowl of wrath on all waters, and they became blood. To which everyone's like, okay. Now I heard the voice of the angel of the, wa- of the waters saying, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. Now we're going to find out why. Why? For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. I want you to kind of just, this is God's justice being poured out on those who would murder Christians because they hold to the belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. I think whenever you hear this, this is where we're like, man, people aren't, I mean, they deserve that? I mean, I know that, this is where I feel like we, we miss this, right? We, we, we kind of have a, we, we have too high a view of humanity. We go, people aren't that bad. No, no, they are that bad. You do, maybe you do the right thing, but usually it's because there's civil law that's the common grace of God that you don't go and murder your next door neighbor because of the irritating uh, cat that always comes into your yard uh, because there is law and you know you'll get in trouble. Maybe you're like, okay, Chris, I wouldn't do that. I mean, that's a bit extreme. But there have been some arguments that you've had where you've thought it through in your head and there's moments where you've gone there and but for the grace of God, you haven't gone there. And so when you unleash, when you take the restraining power of the Holy Spirit out of the earth, it's going to be a lot of anger and a lot of rage. And people are going to take out Christians because that's the scapegoat that, how come you're not getting these sores? I don't want to take you out, you and your Jesus-y. I, I, I think on the flip side of that, I've had people, you know, whenever Adrian, we had our first kid, we had, you know, grandparents go, this is your sweet baby. You deserve it. You're a good person. You deserve this sweet baby. And trust me, I wasn't like, no, actually, uh, Grandma, that's not true. Um, you know, depravity man says that we are all worthless and sinners. I didn't go there in the moment. But later on, I was like, you know, that's theologically not correct. And I understand she's being sweet and nice, and that's what Grandma say. But the reality is that we are de- just deceitfully wicked above all things. And there is nothing good in me. And that's why when you see people like, how could that person do X, Y, or Z? Like, of course they would. Because they're deceitfully wicked. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. If, if, if there's a point where you're like, hey, do you have anything you need to confess? Like, nah, I'm good. Self-deceived. You're lying to yourself. Okay, keep moving. So what happens is, is they, these, these people are all dying. Now watch, and I heard, and I heard, 
the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. These are all the people who have been martyred. They're underneath the altar. And so the altar saying is literally the people who have been martyred hanging out under the altar. Then, back to the angels pouring out some wrath of God. Then the fourth angel pours wrath of God onto, or a bowl of wrath onto the sun. The sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. Now, I want you to hear that. They know, listen, it's not like it's a person doing this. It's not like a, you know, a, a torture kind of thing where they can kind of see the person. It's an evil person. No, this is God doing this. They know that God's doing this. Why? Because of their sin, because they have hurt and wounded his people. And they're cursing him for it. And they did not repent and give him glory. So even in their like utter pain, they're like, I am going to hold out. I am not going to give you glory. I am not going to change. Then the fifth angel comes, pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And then look at this, verse 10. The people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. Now watch, and they did not repent of their deeds. You kind of notice like an Egyptian plague kind of thing going on here uh, of like the plunging into darkness where you can't see anything and your electrical grid is out. It is bad. Now watch. God's wrath judges unrepentant evil. Now, this is, and I, this is the part, as a Christian, you should, um, I, don't, man, I don't know how to put this. There's a part where you should rejoice in the wrath of God because he's not letting, he's not winking at sin. Like, there's awful things. Didn't you, do you guys know there's rape and murder? Listen, everything's relative. That person just was doing with whatever knowledge they had. No, no, that was... They know that when you t- steal a child and you make them your captive and you bring them into drugs, alcohol, and sex slavery, that is awful and dark. Uh, people know when you extort the poor for your own rich, to make yourself richer and gain more, that that is awful and dark. And I think we're like, yeah, that's bad, and we can all get on board. But there's a reality of like when justice comes, what does that look like? And God does not mess around because he cares about his people like a father. You mess with my kid, you mess with me. And so God is not taking it lightly when, no, listen, because you've experienced some pain and woundedness, and you've been through it. and You've seen your heart, broken heart, and here's the reality. You've been probably part of the problem sometimes and part of the victim heart and others and to sort of sort that all out God does by this by his son taking on the wrath of God so that anyone who would believe and repent would turn from their sin and be saved um but there's going to be in in this time I want to put it like this uh patriots of evil that might be a a best way um do I have any other my wife and I we love to watch seal team on uh cbs Anybody else watch SEAL Team? Okay, yeah. All right, so a couple episodes ago, there's a Ray. He's one of the uh, SEALs, and he gets captured by the enemy. These ter- and they put him through interrogation, and they torture him to give up you know, uh, information about um, the SEALs and special operations forces. And he won't do it. And you're like, come on, Ray, hang in there. And he's threatened to be killed, and he eventually gets rescued, and he's got severe PTSD. But you're like, man, he, what, for what you've given to our country, you've done great things. Way to go. Way to hang in there. And he's a patriot of the good guys. Now, I want you to flip that. 
Because in this time, there are going to be patriots of evil. And they're going to know that it is of God that these things are coming, but they're going to be so resilient that there is no way that no matter what comes from heaven, they will not repent because they're a patriot of evil. And if at one point God were to relent, they would try and usurp the throne again. So, so, but, so it's like this. It's like this. Remember, God in his infinite love, when, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, when, when man sins, when he said, hey, God, thanks for all the great ideas and the, your great suggestion. I'll listen to your created order over you because, ah, I mean, you're old. You don't really know. You haven't been around quite as, you, you just, you know, listen, you're irrelevant. And this snake who just pitched this idea, I'd rather have his truth than your truth. I'm rebelling against you and I'm joining the enemy. And since that time, God has been revealing himself in different ways. And so when it got so bad, he flooded the earth. And there was Noah going, like, hey, God, let's start this whole thing all over again. And then over time, it got so bad. And then God revealed himself through his law. He said, here is the law. Here is your way to holiness. Hey, you people of Israel, you be the example for the world. The rest of the world will come to you and know the path of salvation. And Israel completely botched it, failed it, because they had broken hearts. And then finally, God said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to reveal to you that the only way you can be saved is not on your own strength or your own merit, because we all know that you can't do it because of you have this inherent, inborn thing of sin. And so here comes Jesus onto the scene, and he takes the very wrath that's pouring out, he takes it on himself. And he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. And that there's the great exchange. Two things happen. One, God becomes a man. I mean, the whole spirit, he, he was not, men and women were made in the image of God, but it wasn't like God had skin. But when Jesus comes on the scene, God puts on skin. Here is Jesus showing up. And then he dies. And on that cross, he experiences separation from God's love and all that intimacy. Gone. And he experiences what wrath is, that he's the very thing he's dished out. It's the very thing he receives. So he knows exactly what he is doing. And so this, this beauty of this is, here is, he's, when he's saying like they will not repent, they're still like, hey, you could turn, turn from your sin, turn from your sin. I will not. I mean, you, you know how it is with your children, right? You love them, and you're like, hey, um, if you obey daddy, good things happen. I don't want to obey daddy. I want to take over the house. I will run the house. And then eventually, there's consequences which leave them isolated from your love and intimacy. Am I right? And this is what's going on here, and, and the people are rejecting God, saying, I don't want you. I'm a patriot of evil, and I will never, ever turn back. Okay, back to Revelation 16. Six angel comes out, pours out the bowl of wrath on the Euphrates. It dries up. The water is dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then verse 13, I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs. This is important. You guys know, remember, whatever God does, Satan wants to counterfeit. And so signs, usually we're like, if I would see a sign, I believe. Well, you're going to get signs. Signs from Satan, because he, God's giving him power to do this. He's allowing him to do that. Performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the day, for the battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. Now, 
there's a pause in this as John is telling the story, and Jesus says, kind of interjects here, behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. What's, what's this mean? Jesus is saying, get awake. If you knew the enemy was coming, your only way to be saved is to put the garments on, put them on. What's the garments? It's believing in Jesus. You are clothed in righteousness when you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from death. That's the righteousness, so put it on. And I think what happens, and this is, the, this is the message for us, if you are not a Christian, put it on. And, and they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. If you're ever wondering what that is, it's a battleground. Armageddon is a battleground where the world comes together. All the kings of the world are coming to fight Jesus. And so the great call goes out. Uh, signs and wonders perform around the world, and they're sending their armies to the great battleground of Armageddon, which is in the Middle East, in the Israel area. And it's going to be a big, huge battleground. Okay, Verse, or, or seventh angel comes and pours out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. It really reflects back. Jesus, when he's on the cross, it is finished, it is done. And that was, the wrath of God was completed. Here's the wrath of God completed here. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake that the great city was split into three Parts and the cities of the nations fell. All right, we're going to talk about what that city is in a sec, so hold on to that city. And God remembered Babylon, that is the city, Babylon the Great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and, mount, and no mountains were to be found. Islands and mountains were the place you go to hide so you can get away. There was no underground storm shelters. There was no into the mountains or clefts. You could not get away from the wrath of God. It's not that there weren't any islands or mountains anymore, but there's nowhere you could go to hide from the wrath of God. And great hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, fell from heaven on people, which you're like, wow, that, that's kind of horrific to think about. I mean, you know, softball size hell does, hundred pound piece of hail, and they curse God. Here it is, and they curse God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Then one of the seven angels had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment. And we're going to get into this. God is going to judge of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. I'm going to help you out because I feel like um, when, when you look at this, the great prostitute of many waters, great prostitute is going to refer to Babylon or the city, the waters. And we're going to see this later. It's going to refer to how it sits upon the people and that, how it dominates the people. You'll see that in a second. All right. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual morality, and with the wine of whose sexual morality the dwellers on earth have been become drunk. So you've got this king's sexual morality and sexual morality of the dwellers on earth. So all throughout Scripture, whenever you, f- you find the people of God leaving the, the true husband, if you will, through the covenant of marriage, you talk about covenants all the time, and they would go after other gods, it would be called whoring after other gods. And so that, that so it's sexual, it's not like 
a king is having sex with a particular woman. No, it's one particular city has dominance and making them compromise biblical conviction if they had any to begin with to give up uh, their power and compromise what God would have for them because they are going to join the, the great city. And the same people, the dwellers on earth are getting drunk. But now I'm, the great mystery or the great religion of the world is do whatever you want. Your own truth is your own truth. Enjoy it. And so what happens here is everyone sort of believes that. And so when sex is no longer a, a thing of right or wrong and you choose your own gender and you can kind of do whatever, that's sort of what happens. You with me? All right, and so that's what's going on. So they, everybody has experienced that. There's a worship that's involved with that because it becomes the religion of the land. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And he, it's like, this is like a vision within a vision within a vision. It's like inception times like five. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven he- heads and ten horns. So this is the same Antichrist who's in, who's in control of seven uh, kings and ten horns, which are like smaller kings. And the scarlet beast just means more ro- royalty. This is the beast. But watch this. It's going to appear to the world that this city is even in charge of the Antichrist. Okay. So the city that has the great power, that's the religious influencer of the world, the beast sort of submits to that for a season as he controls the waters, the the people. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup of abominations. So real quick, she's beautiful to look at, but what goes in her is the golden cup of abominations and the impurities of her sexual morality. So her religion looks good, but it's completely defiled. There's nothing of God within it, even though it may have an appearance of goodness, appearance of worship, appearance of anything good, but it's completely dark. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. And and I like the, the word mystery here because I feel like this religion of that time, much like religion today, as long as it's mysterious, as long as there's nothing that's... Um, exclusive, as long as you say all, you can believe whatever you want, as long as you don't say there is one truth, you're welcome. As long as you say my truth is equal to your truth, and it's just a mystery. We're all on a journey together. Nobody gets angry at you if you say you're on a, you can say I'm exploring Christianity. I'm, a, I'm on a journey, and no one gets upset at that. It's just when you say you found something, or Jesus found me, and I've been transformed, you need to hear, whoa, don't put your religion on me. Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. In other words, this city that controls the religion is uh, the ultimate prostitute. It's left God to be whatever, to be kind of experience all that she wants for more power, more splendor. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So I want you to see this real quick. Look, she is... When anytime anyone says, no, no, I, I can't, I, I appreciate you, but I cannot submit to that. I trust Jesus. It's Christ alone. And you're like, oh, well, you're going to have to die for that. And they become patriots of the true kingdom. And when they die, it's not painful. It's when they die, it's they get to experience Jesus. But she's getting drunk off the blood because it's giving her more power. And then verse six, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman. 
and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. Remember, you have this, Jesus was and is and is to come. This one, the, the beast was, is not, and is about to go to destruction. And the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. They'll worship the beast because it was, it is not, it is to come. And so what's going to happen is this beast is heading to hell and the dwellers on earth are following. See, God's wrath judges false worship. And I really feel at this specific time, it's going to look like it looked in the Roman time. You could believe anything you want as long as you just burned incense to Caesar. Burn the incense to Caesar. Just acknowledge him, bow the knee. And even people at that time would say, listen, please just, 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 just who can't burn the incense? Why does it matter? Just do it. Just put the mark on your hand. Who cares? Just bow the knee. Why don't I mean, are you really going to put this much effort into this life that you've never seen, into this world you've never been to, to this God you've never seen? You see, this is where the world has fallen in love with um, the great mystery. Uh, and in about 500 BC is, is, is about the first story where, where this comes up with in Buddha. But you guys have heard this. You got the uh, five blind men, and some people see... The, the elephant as a snake because of the trunk. It's just like a snake. Some people say it's like a, uh, the ear is like a blanket because it's, you know, strong and it's a mat. So, you know, whatever. And then, the, oh, it's a tusk. It's like a spear. His leg is like a trunk of a tree and his side is like a wall and, and his tail is like a rope. And you, for you to say God is anything is really irrelevant. And every culture has picked up on this. And even an English uh, philosopher uh, John Godfrey Sachs wrote a poem, and I really, I'm going to take the last lines of it here. And so those men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceedingly stiff and strong. Though each was partly in the right, all were in the wrong. So oft in theological wars, the disputants, I ween, tread on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prayed about the elephant not one of them has seen. Here's what's strange about that. Because you're right, these guys can't see. But who, who in this story is the one that has eyes to see? The narrator. The narrator has given you the worldview that you can't possibly know, but that person does. Do, do you see the error here? I can see. You can't. Here's the absolute truth. None of you have it. And here's what God is like. He's a picture of all these religions, and all of you are wrong, and I am right. Do you see how that works? No matter what, when you take an absolute truth, and you say that your truth is wrong, and even if it's, an ex- it's exclusionary to a point, and that's the great irony of all those who say you can't know, because what they're saying is absolute. And so that's a problem. So at least we're honest about our absoluteness. The rest of the world isn't. They're not honest. They want to deceive you to say, like, nobody can possibly know. And that in of itself is logic that does not fly. Because now they've become the knower of all things. And I think that's the part of the great 
false religion of the time that people will buy into and the great mystery. Oh, that is so good. Now, chapter 17, verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. Remember how in Revelation 13, this calls for a mind of wisdom to know the mark of the beast. So if you're watching, okay, online people or rather online however many years from now or tomorrow uh, when this is all going on, uh, this calls for a mind with wisdom. I won't be here for this, so I'm giving you the recording. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Okay, so it's like, okay, seven mountains, got it. All right, but they also are seven kings. So there are seven hills outside Rome. Many times, many people were like, okay, it must be Rome, maybe. But it's also, here's a better way to interpret, there's seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not come, to which you're like, what are you talking about? So I did some research, and let me give it to you. Here's five were. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, okay? One is, that could have been Rome during the time that this was written, or it's going to be the contemporary power of Babylon. Whoever Babylon is, that great city has the power then, and then the other has not yet come. That's going to be the beast kingdom, because right now, even though the beast is in control and he's the antichrist, the, the power of Babylon of the false religion is what dominates the world. Does that make sense? Okay, and when he does come, he will, must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. So you're like, what do you mean by that? The beast, his power is like the seven previous kingdoms. That it's a world-dominated world, but it's completely unique, and it's the Antichrist's last stand. You with me? And the ten horns that you saw are the ten kings who have not yet received royal power or royal authority or power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, which is, you know, I'll give up everything I have for the beast for one hour. They are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. This comes from uh, Daniel 7.24, and you'll see that in, there's these ten kings come, they give all their power to the beast, and then... It's kind of awkward in that the beast kills off three of them. So it's not like all of it was like completely handed over, but it was in a way because he takes out three. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw, remember from the very beginning that the prostitute seated on the waters? The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. All the people that are going to be deceived. Remember Revelation 7, all tribes, tongues, nations, worshiping the king. Here is the beast, you know, kind of receiving all the worship. The prostitute's getting all the worship from all the world. Great deception, and he's going to want it. So watch what happens. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute because they want the worship. Remember, the commodity of heaven is worship. And so they're going to. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. And they're going to call out the false logic of the woman. And they're going to say there is going to be an exclusive worship, the worship of the beast. Does that make sense? And they're going to devour her and she's going to go down. Watch. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. Church, you're like, why is God doing that? by being of one mind and handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. This is all God's sovereign hand. There's never a point at which this is a dualistic battle. Dualism means it's 
Jesus and Satan are on equal battle terms. It's just gonna like, it's not that at all. It's Jesus says, you're gonna do this and you're gonna do that. And the woman that you saw in the great city that has, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And so that city is going to fall and it's gonna fall into the hands of the Antichrist. God purposes, watch this, God purposes the enemy to work out his wrath. Now, I know we've talked about inception a little bit, but this is the greatest part of it. Remember, everything that happens, good or bad, God either causes it or allows it. So in this particular, this is where God purposes the beast and the 10 kings to overthrow the false religion of the world. And so how come it's not like God clearly doing it? I always go back to Inception, right? So remember Inception, you have professional thief, uh, Dom Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. You guys remember on the movie? All right, and his specialty is stealing information by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets. You guys remember this? And you're like, he somehow gets into the dream with him, finds out all the stuff. And where he can, he can either steal stuff or implant ideas the same process. So what the movie reveals is that there's a way to control events without actually being seen as responsible, but still your purpose is fulfilled. And that is what God does with Satan. Twitch is like, couldn't Satan just read the book and be like, hmm, this doesn't turn out well for me. <laughs> but God is even in control of that. And he has always been that. This is where, like, it's not, it's not like God's playing fair. God doesn't play fair. He's in control of the whole thing. Remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh several times like, you know what, Moses, let the people go. Go ahead. And then what did God do? Hardened his heart. Why? Because Moses had a lot to learn. And a great object lesson was Pharaoh. And so the very thing that Pharaoh served was a perfect object lesson for Moses to learn about God's glory and his goodness, even when things are very hard. And this is what you learn from that, that even, that even when you have somebody at work that's working out their wrath against you, even when you're married to somebody that's working out their wrath against you, that God is either allowing it or causing it, whatever that is. And so he's in sovereign control, and your hope is not to go and manipulate your way out of it. Your hope is in Jesus because God's in control. And I think what happens at times, we start to manipulate, we send the emails, we're gonna go, we're gonna go figure out a way and we're gonna take ungodly means to get justice answered for us. And what God's saying is like, even the places where it looks like injustice is being worked out, I'm even behind that because I want it to come to its full darkness so that I can judge it properly. And you're like, what? But that's what God does. Because he's always doing two things for his, the people that he loves, you and me, if you believe in Jesus. He's always looking out for his glory, and you need him to look out for his glory because that's where your hope is. But he's also looking out for your good. That's why Romans 8, 28, that's why you put it on your heart. All things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. And so the question I want to wrap up here is, are you ready? Are you ready for God's wrath? And I know that seems like crazy, to even think about in, a, in our modern times. But this morning, I want us to kind of put that in our hearts. And I want us to think about God's wrath as we take communion together. So you can find your little uh, communion thing. It should be right around you somewhere in the seat in front of you. And we're going to take this together. And before we do, I want to kind of give a, a proper understanding of this. You see, when Jesus came, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. He wanted to make clear that there would be, you'd always go back to remember that. So Jesus, when he dies, 
or before he, the night before he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it before his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for forgiveness of sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so we come together regularly to take communion together so that we might know and why we are here. We're not here just to have a service as a rotary club. We're here because we really believe that God sent his son Jesus and he died, he rose, and he's coming back for us. And that's why we have hope when the rest of the world only has therapeutic moralistic deism to just sort of sink their teeth into. I'll just be a better person by behaving better. And we all know, we've all tried. You can't overcome it by yourself. But Jesus can. So before we take this communion, if you're not a Christian, this isn't for you to do. But if you are a Christian or if you want to become one, this is a perfect time for you. We're going to take 30 seconds. I want to take 30 seconds to just pray and come before God with our darkness and our sin. If you say, I don't got anything. No, you're self-deceived. You do. 30 seconds. We're going to just take to God our darkness. Can you do that with me? body of Christ given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Blood of Christ shed for you that you may escape the wrath of God. Drink in remembrance of Jesus. My hope for you is that if you're not a Christian, you are one now. And if you are a Christian, you've been going through life and you've, you're not ready. You're not taking on seriously the reality of that this life is just an illusion. It's temporary. It's going to fade. It's going to escape. It's going to go. My heart's cry is that you would live this life in honor of the King who is and is to come. And we know and we can trust him because of what he did. And there's great hope there. And so the message that we want to resonate in our souls that we can trust this God who loves us. And he loves us enough to die, to take on the wrath so that we can be free from it. And that's our hope. So as we go into this time of worship, will you let your heart resonate with that? Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful that you are on the throne and that Jesus, you're doing something really spectacular in our lives and your wrath is just as beautiful as your love because it shows how passionately you love us and how concerned for wickedness and how people hurting one another offends you. God, I pray that we would be a people who turn from our sin and the things that deserve wrath And we just turn to your love because you are so gracious and so proportionate to give it out. And we wouldn't hold on to our evil and become patriots of evil, but we become patriots of the kingdom of God 
diplomats, ambassadors to a world that's lost. Lord, in humility and love, will you help us have the message of hope to a people that are dying, that their desperation isn't just because it's pointing to something far greater, and there is a love for them. If they can lean into and trust, their whole life will be brand new. God, we love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Imagine just for a second what would happen if we truly invested in the holiness of God and saw just the wrath that we do deserve and the grace that God has bestowed on us. And what's going to happen to those who don't know? Let our hearts break for that. Imagine your heart breaking for the people you work with, the people you serve with, the people that you uh, do community and go to school with. Imagine that. And the way that you view them, that would transform you and give you the grace in your own family, in your workplace, in the city. It would change everything. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people who understand the, the love and wrath of God. Go and be a people who usher in the love of Christ and allow people to escape the darkness. Go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.